Welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast with me as your host, Carrie Jordan Barrett. This is a podcast devoted to incorporating ancient ways into our contemporary lives and enlivening the physical world with spirit. I hope that this episode will enable you to open a portal to remembering your unique ancient wisdom. It is my honor to hold this place together and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Before we begin, I like to make a prayer and call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. Hey y'all, this is Carrie. I'm back with more podcasts for you. I've been in such a rut with this podcast. Nothing to do with anyone else but myself. And now I'm back and I'm feeling a really big push on this particular day to get some podcasts out to you. Thank you for your patience. And if you're a patron, you know that I've been releasing some podcasts on the Patreon, um, kind of behind the scenes with no intro. So some of the patrons have heard this podcast. If you want to become a patron, if you love this podcast, come become a patron for as little as $3 a month over on patreon.com slash rise collective. There's going to be a couple changes to this podcast, and I'm not going to talk about them right now. I'll probably do another episode about them, about it. But one of the changes is that I am changing up how I do intros. I'm not going to be do, I don't think I'm going to do summaries anymore of the episodes because it just is a lot more work. And that's part of my resistance. I usually have to do this, these intros in, later at night after everyone goes to bed in my household. And so um, I have to do it when I have energy because I want positive energy to be behind my voice and behind this project. So I need to scale back the amount of work that goes into this. Okay, there is some context. This episode is really awesome. I interviewed Leaf Running Rabbit, who is part of my community here in the Boulder area. He is, <laughs> you'll hear a little bit about my feelings about Leaf in the interview, but he he's such a unique person. He has a, such a unique story and has lived, um, a life of magic, it seems to me. So I'm really excited for you to meet Leaf and hear his story and hear his wisdom. Also on Patreon, he's giving away a copy of his book, which is part of his book is based on his own genre of that he calls photo poetics. And so we're going to talk about his book in the interview. And if you want to enter the giveaway, 
which I encourage you to do, go to patreon.com slash rise collective. And, um, if you're a patron, enter the giveaway by following the instructions on my post and I will choose a winner. Now I'm going to read Leaf bio so that you can have some background about him. So Leaf is 50 years old at the time of recording. His heritage and ancestry is a quarter Shawnee, a quarter Creek, a quarter Dutch, or a half Dutch European, and 100% Earth human. Leaf lives at 9,000 feet elevation in the Rocky Mountains in Ward, Colorado, in a 100% off-grid straw bale house that he built himself. He's lived here in Colorado off-grid for 30 years. He's divorced with two children, River Sage, who's 30, and Ella Wren, who's 24. He's a semi-retired entrepreneur who built two businesses from the ground up, a green building, straw bale construction company, and a chimney sweep company. He sold both of those companies three years ago, and now his focus is his own genre called photo poetics, which is a relationship between writing and photography where a poem is coupled with a photo or a series of photos, which each one says what the other one cannot. In other words, the poem captures in words what the photo captures in image and vice versa. He's a published writer with Middle Creek Middle Creek Publishing and Audio, and a regular featured writer for Solar Today, a quarterly publication that focuses on solar energy and off-grid living. You can check that out at ases.org. Other focuses currently taking up his time are ceremony, mentorships, ritual, and spiritual art. He works with Lots of children, teens, and schools in the areas of Earth-Centered Lifeways, the Medicine Wheel of Life teachings and its practical use in everyday life, as well as Sweat Lodge and Sacred Pipe ceremonies. He also does regular workshops, retreats, and ceremony rituals with entrepreneurs and business team building groups from all over the country. And finally, he regularly does guided backcountry ski and hiking trips through the wilderness and up onto the Continental Divide with lots of teachings along the way. And I, like I said, I really have felt honored to be able to host Leaf on the podcast. And I also feel honored that I've been able to be in his presence. I think he is a a remarkable person and I think you will get that, that feeling as well. So with no further ado, here is Leaf Running Rabbit. Welcome Leaf. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Rise Collective podcast. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So 
I just want to do a proactive reveal about the connection. There's a little lag. So um, we'll do our best in editing to make sure it sounds good. And I'd love to start with um, how we know each other, which is that we know each other through our community and um, our ceremonial community. And it's been so lovely getting to know you. <laughs> My, um, I, I know we met before this, but my <clears throat> kind of the memory that I attach to when I think about first connecting with you was when you set up the weed whacker for me <laughs> at our um, ceremonial <laughs> space while I was huge and pregnant and I was walking around with a weed whacker. Um, <laughs> but it's been so fun getting to know you because you bring this playful, light energy and you're always the one cracking jokes. So um, I've enjoyed that. Oh, thank, thank you for saying that. Thank yeah. you. So I'd love to start with you. Um, sharing about yourself and your work, anything that you want to share with us and we'll see where we go. Okay. Well, great. Well, my name is uh, Leaf Running Rabbit and I'm 50 years old. I live at 9,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains above Boulder, Colorado, outside of a small Pueblo sort of an anarchist village called Ward, Colorado. I've lived here for 30 years. And uh, I live 100% off-grid in a straw bale house that I built. I'm semi-retired uh, because I built two businesses from the ground up. One was a straw bale construction company and green building company, and the other was a chimney sweep. And I sold those companies four years ago in order to focus full-time on ceremony, ritual, and writing. So I'm a, I'm a published author and a regular contributing author to a magazine called Solar Today, which is an off-grid and solar living magazine. Um, and so that's essentially where I'm at right now. Uh, I primarily work with groups of people and children and school groups. And uh, I travel around to schools all over the country and even as far, I've gone as far as Germany and Costa Rica to teach children and um, other people, adults, about the medicine wheel of life and how to apply that uh, in a practical way to daily living. And also how to, but mainly to give children um, uh, uh, the idea and concept of living and walking with intention. Uh, my, my number one goal, I think, right now, working with children is um, mindfulness, presence, awareness, um, intention, and uh, being, you know, being authentically themselves. I believe the world really wants us to be nothing more than who we are authentically are. Uh, but we have to do a little bit of discovery to find out who 
we are innately, what our gifts are, what our shortcomings are, and um, in that regard. And I also love working with um, business groups, uh, entrepreneurial, um, high-tech or tech world business groups, because I believe platforms such as Facebook and Instagram and these sort of things, they're affecting so many people that if, if these platforms had um, intention and mindfulness behind them, that uh, it could impact a lot of people in the world. So th those are my motivations for working with business people and, and children being our future stewards and guides of our planet and our earth and our humanity and our global collective consciousness. It's important to me to work with children. So I love going around to schools and teaching the medicine wheel. And, and we also do a lot of sweat lodge ceremonies for transitioning students from eighth grade into, into high school and, and for graduating seniors transitioning into um, the real world. So that is where I'm at right now. I was muted. I love hearing about your, um, your work with the youth. It seems so needed right now. And what's coming up for me right now is um, the young man that what came to live with you and who you were teaching um, all of these skills to. Are you able to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I recently had a 17-year-old young man come for a three-month-long mentorship and live with me in my house here in Colorado. And he came from Seattle, Washington. And he essentially was being raised by a single mother and did not have uh, a daily or regular father figure in his life. And they were looking for, and he was kind of lost. He had dropped out of high school, um, wasn't working, couldn't really find his place or his path. And so they um, learned about me through some ceremony work and through some elders that I had worked with and asked if I would be interested in taking him on for a little mentorship, which uh, was a first for me. Uh, as far as bringing someone into my own home. But anyways, uh, he, he came and um, we met on the mat at 7 a.m. every morning, uh, the mat being the yoga mat. So uh, I met him on the mat at 7 a.m. That's when our day started and we did one hour of practices. So we did 30 minutes worth of yoga and 30 minutes worth of Meditation. We had um, getting ready time, so he would make his breakfast, pack his backpack, and get his gear on, and I would do the same. And then at nine o'clock, we headed out into the wilderness. And he came in the winter time, so that was a big time for backcountry skiing. Uh, so we we went on a few hundred miles worth of backcountry ski excursions for the during the time that he was here, and during that time uh, of course we're talking and learning a lot about nature being present deal and a big challenge to, to get him on skis to teach him how to ski um, and get him accustomed to the the movement of that but just being in the wilderness alone is a lot of medicine and power 
with that. So then we'd come back from that and, and do lunch, and then we would do a Spanish lesson because he was of Hispanic heritage, and I'm a, a bilingual um, teacher of Spanish. And, uh, and then we, were, we had spiritual practices every day that were geared towards getting him ready for his vision quest. So which ended up being canceled because of the pandemic. But nonetheless, we were doing prayer ties, working with spirit animals, totem animals, a little shamanic journey work, uh, and working around the sacred fire, teaching him how the fire worked, how you develop a relationship with it, et cetera, et cetera. And um, in the end, it worked out really well. And uh, he left here. Quick interruption. This episode of the Res Collective podcast is brought to you by and sponsored by the Life Design Planner. The Life Design Planner is a planner that supports you in accessing your ancient wisdom and following your soul's purpose. I've been selling this planner for the past five years. I created it for myself and it's now become a co-creation with our community. Soulpreneurs, professionals, parents, wise ones, and anyone who has a long to-do list loves this life-changing planner. You can order your planner at therisecollective.org slash planner. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Uh, as, as a different fun by several other people to do it again, and, and I'm thinking about that right now. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I imagine getting so much out of it and I <laughs> I wish that there was something like that when I was that age. Um, it just seems so valuable to me and something that he will remember for the rest of his life and I'm sure you'll, you'll remember it fondly too. Um, I'd love to talk about <clears throat> living off grid and why you chose this lifestyle and um, kind of your, your value system around it and how you look at life. Because I think <clears throat> it takes a special type of person to decide to get off of the system that is so widely used by so many and make that very intentional choice. Um, and it's also very challenging. Josh and I stayed um, at an off-grid farm when we went to the Big Island uh, last year. And the people who lived there were saying that there was a really steep learning curve for living off-grid. And um, people think that it's this, um, what's the word? People think that it's this um, like idealist lifestyle, idealistic lifestyle, and actually, it takes a lot of effort to create all those systems and to um, make sure that you have your water and you know dig your ditches for your your outhouse or however that works for you. <laughs> um, so yes, I would love to hear about how you made those decisions and and why and all about that okay 
Well, um, I'd love to say that I just intentionally chose to create um, an off-grid lifestyle for myself and my family. And in the end, I did do that, but it wasn't that way in the beginning. Uh, I had a semi-rough upbringing where I uh, was adopted away and then accidentally discovered my true family without being told. And then I had a, a lot of conflict in my life with my mother and I ran away from home at 15 and I never went back. Wow. And so that taught me sovereignty and independence. And I was in Oklahoma at that time. And in Oklahoma, I could not find myself. I couldn't find my self, really. And then I was given an opportunity to come to Colorado, and I took it. And within two weeks, I had moved my entire life from Oklahoma to Colorado. And then I found myself in the mountains. I'm turning this to mountains. And I stumbled upon what's called here in the mining country of the mountains, a, a squatter's cabin. A squatter's cabin is a, is a cabin built over 100 years ago for, in the mining days that miners would come in and temporarily use. And if they didn't find any gold, they would move away. And then these thing, these cabins ended up just all kind of scattered through the mountains vacant. And I found one of these things and I moved into it for a summer. And I ended up living there for 17 years. Wow. Uh, raised two children there and had a wife for oh absolutely God. free before I got caught there. So I, I managed to stay in that cabin for 17 years before the government caught me because it was on government land. It was on BLM land. And so I, during that 17 years, I, I was, again, this, this goes back to the fierce independence of, I don't need anybody's help. I don't want anybody's help. I, I was poor. I, I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't have a car. So I was just doing everything I could to stay in this cabin and live for free, thinking that, wow, this is an amazing experience. This is like a dream come true in a, in a way mm -hmm. for some people. But boy, is it hard. And yeah. I looked at it as a built-in workout, you know, chopping wood. I hauled water, children, laundry, groceries, everything on a sled. But when I first moved into that cabin and this, land it was literally like moving into myself it was and i didn't realize that i was lost before then hmm. and so that that experience of feeling as if i was moving into my own body was my first tap into something spiritual something uh, of spirituality and it made the realization in my mind of how important place is to a, a human so and unfortunately maybe maybe not so many humans i think end up being settlers settlers they settle for for their lot in life for their yes yeah, settlers for their 
when when one and I didn't again I didn't choose this intentionally it was a gift from spirit that I got to stumble upon this awareness that place is so super important and I didn't realize that I wasn't settling by staying in a place like this but in the end now I know that what I by staying within this lifestyle, accepting the challenges and the work involved to live off grid in, in these woods, for me was not settling. Had I stayed in Oklahoma, that would have been settling. Uh, you know, not finding my tribe, my job, not understanding what feels good in my body as far as place. Anyways, that's a little bit of a tangent. But, um, I like so over, (laughs) (laughs) um, so yeah, I've now lived. So now I I finally, I got caught the BL. I came home one day and found survey markers all around my house, my cabin and a big sign on the door, a note that said, you're in trespass. This is BLM land. We'll be in touch with you. Well, amazingly they were super nice and they gave me five years to become an actual landowner and then to build a real house and so i was like wow that's fantastic i can't believe it through through some miraculous hoops i was into to my cabin I was able to attach legal access on it in Boulder County and build a legal home. So now I have a full-blown 2,200-square-foot off-grid house, straw bale, built it myself with my son. It has three bathrooms, toilets, showers. I have a well, and I have a leach field. So it's you know, we went from 17 years in this tiny little cabin with an outhouse and no running water, no hot water, uh, to now a full-blown house with three bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. And now people call me the, the yuppie of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of fancy off-grid living, but there's literally no power out here. There's no electric lines, there's no phone lines, there's no water. So it's 100% off-grid. And the difference between that and the people down in a, in a city like Boulder, people who have a lot of solar panels on their roofs, water panels, etc., they are, they are basically brokers of solar energy. So they're selling their power to the grid and they're still using the grid. Whereas I don't have that option. I have no grid here. Therefore, the difference between on-grid and off-grid is that off-grid, my systems, uh, my system has limitations. So I have to pay very close attention to whether lights are on or off. Sometimes I unplug the refrigerator at night and plug it back in in the morning. Um, sometimes I can't use the internet because it's satellite uh, and it may be cloudy. Um, My heat is 100% wood, so I have to really pay attention to my wood supply and the work and oil and effort. Um, 
go get that. Minimal, like there's no TV here. There's no heating elements. I can't use a toaster, a microwave, a coffee pot, a tea, an electric tea kettle, a clothes dryer, curling irons, hair dryers, etc. You don't use things like that on an off-grid system because you have limitations. So it's taken 30 years, but now it's just kind of a part of who I am and how I operate. Like I can sense... I can sense when a light is on in the house without seeing that it's on. Um, and I know, I, you know, it, when you live off grid, you're, you're super connected to the, the swings of nature and the cycles of the seasons, even the daily meanderings of cloud and sun. I wake up every single morning. The first thing I do is go out and I look at the sky. Is it sunny today or is it cloudy? How much power do I have? What do I need to do today? I take showers in the, in the daylight. I, I make sure I wash my clothing in the daylight. There's lots of things we don't do after the sun is set. Um, are my panels clean of snow? I, my panels stand up right in the wintertime. And last week, I lowered them for the summer. They lower down like this because the, the sun is higher in the sky. So you have, you have this sort of need to be connected to nature, have an awareness and a mindfulness to how the flow of, of wind, sun, rain, clouds is operating on a day-to-day -day basis, that's required of me. If I don't do that, then I can overuse my system and it can cost me a lot of money. So that's one of the neat values about living off-grid is that you're semi-forced to have this daily awareness and connection with nature. Whereas when you're down on the grid, you're not, that's not required of you. It doesn't really matter if it's cloudy for a whole week long. Yeah, this, I'm feeling so amazed and surprised and I don't, I almost don't have words to describe how I feel after hearing that story about living on the BLM land for 17 years. And um, it's just remarkable. It's really remarkable. And um, it's a blessing. It's yeah. a blessing. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I felt a little bit speechless after hearing this story about you and I was laughing <laughs> when you were telling it because it is, it's kind of unbelievable <laughs> that you, <laughs> that you got away with that for 17 years, but, um, it kind of speaks to the, the wilderness that you're in and how little traveled it is. I imagine, or it was. Um, so thanks for sharing that. It sounds like you kind of came across this. It, it's almost like you, you were just guided into this lifestyle and this life and you were supported every step of the way. Um, and I'm curious if, if that fits or if you see it a different way. No, it totally fits. I didn't know it at the time. 
but um, in the 30 years that I've been here and in my course of spiritual growth and getting to know about dreams past lives and etc cetera, etc cetera, i've actually learned that i've lived on lives and so i'm here again for whatever purpose i'm not i'm not even sure i understand what that purpose is fully so but let me I know pause it you because it's something to do with ceremony let me pause you because it started cutting out so i just want to repeat what you said so I gathered that um, with your work with dreams and past lives, you've learned that you've lived on this land before and you're here again. You're not quite sure why you're here again. It might be having to do with ceremony. And so I just wanted to repeat that, but please continue. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that it has to do with... Um, the, the medicine of the land and, and promoting that further into humanity, our collective good, particularly children, um, because I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with a lot of children on this land. And um, of course that grows and grows and, and we do a lot of ceremony with, with lots of business groups that fly in from around the country and, and the, we have a huge ceremony circle right here locally uh, that people can join in on if they happen to live local. But the land, I believe, asked me to be here, sort of brought me here. Either the land, spirit, however you look at that, I, I was brought here. Because like I said, when I first came onto the land and I saw the cabin, it was literally like walking into my own body. And I, I've never, I had never experienced a feeling like that before. I was like, wow, here, here I am. This, this is actually me. And I didn't know that I didn't, that I wasn't me before. I, I was me physically, but I wasn't me spiritually. Mm. So when I found the land, it was, it was like walking into the spiritual side of me. And so that's been growing and developing over the last 30 years. And here I am still, I, I've known for a long time that I would live my entire life on this property and I would die here. Wow. And I went through a divorce a decade ago. And even then I had such confidence in my ability in, in, in spirits guidance for me to be here that I offered in the courts during the divorce, I offered my wife to, to have the home and the land. And of course she declined and I, wow. but I had to do that, but I, that's how strong you had I that knew, much confidence. I did not want to move from him. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I did that as a show of, support and love to her because the divorce was very hurtful on her end. She put a lot of work into the land and I knew that I needed to offer that as a sign of love and support toward her. But mm. Somehow innately, I knew that this would still be my land. Anyways, that, that's another small tangent. Uh, so 
Yes. What else? (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. I love hearing that. And um, this feeling that you talk about with coming here, coming to the land and feeling like you're walking into your own body. I have a version of that. Not quite. I wouldn't describe it that way, but I have a version of that um, for when I moved here to Colorado and there's just one specific moment that I remember and I feel emotional kind of talking about it because I love this land so much Um, I was on a road trip with my mom she she drove me out here and we came up over the hill in Broomfield um, on 36 and you know that view (laughs) Um, when you go over that hill, it's yes. the flat irons and yes. it was a gorgeous day and the sun was beaming through the clouds and it looked like paradise and I heard angels singing mm-hmm. and <laughs> um, yeah, this land is, it feels like I've, well, I also know that I've been here in past lives. Um, so it feels really special to be here and to have been guided here. I definitely feel like I was guided out here without realizing it at the time as well. So just wanted to chime in and point that in, point that out. And um, I also like knowing that that happens to people besides me, that other people have versions of that. And I would be curious to know, how many other people in our community and um, who live here in Colorado have, have a version of that? Yeah, they call that Niwot's curse, you know. Right. You've heard of that, right? Yeah. Can you share for the listeners about Niwot's curse? Well, Chief Niwot or Nawat was... Uh, an Arapaho chief here in this area. And at one point when the colonization and settlers were moving into this area, um, like the place where um, CU Boulder, the University of Colorado at Boulder is right now, were, were buffalo hunting grounds to the Arapaho people. And when people started going up towards Nederland up Boulder Canyon to mine, Chief Niwat was one of the people who um, barricaded the entry to the the canyon and and tried to talk to people and um you know let them know that they were passing through arapaho lands uh but anyways something about um there's particular people who have what they call niwat's curse which means they are just destined to be here and they can they can try to leave here uh they can move all around the country or world but they're going to always be called to be back here and I don't know how far reaching that curse is, if it's just average people, if it's spiritual people or, or people who feel as deeply as me, where I was moving into my own body, I knew I'd live here forever. Or I really don't know how far reaching the curse is, but there's books written about it. One can, one can study it. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's funny hearing you say it out loud because I moved up to Seattle um, 
several years ago and I missed I missed this place so much. I, I was calling me, so I had to come back. Um, and I don't think I realized at the time that it was Niwat's curse. And there's also a part of that story, which, um, let me see if I can remember what I was going to share. Um, something like, um, well, actually, I'm not going to share that. <laughs> um, so where do I want to go next? I think I'd love to hear about, um, your ceremonial life. And I know that you shared in what you sent me your ancestry. You have a quarter Shawnee and a quarter Creek and a, a half Dutch European and a hundred percent earth human. <laughs> So I love to hear how you <laughs> kind of, um, how you relate to your ancestry, how you relate to your ancestors and, um, yeah. Can you riff on that? Okay. Will do. Yeah. So the most important thing to me is that I'm a full blood human. Um, and then the other things are secondary or trivial. Uh, um, spirit just doesn't care about heart, mind, intention, etc. So yes, even though I, by blood, I'm one quarter Muscogee Creek and I'm enrolled in that tribe. I have a, a grandmother on my mother's side who is full blood Creek. And then I have one quarter blood of Shawnee heritage, which comes from my father's side. And that's my grandmother, Inez Running Rabbit, where my name comes from. And then uh, we have Dutch, European, something or other, but my family doesn't care that much about that. So they never taught us about that. They, they only care about their Indian side. So... I know mostly about that. It was my grandmother, Inez, who was a, she, she was a, an artist, professional artist and ceremonialist for her entire life. She owned over, or she owned five art galleries over the course of her life and um, was a mystic. We, we come from a long line of mystics, uh, which there's some great stories in that, but it would take up the whole hour and more to talk about that. Oh, um, but next I have episode. a direct, um, <laughs> I have a, I have a direct, uh, descendant. See, if, is that a word? I'm a, I'm a direct descendant to, uh, a mystic in the Shawnee tribe whose name is Tenskwatawa, which in, in English means the open door. And Tenskwatawa was the brother of Tecumseh, uh, the chief oh, wow. of the Shawnee tribe. Mm -hmm. And my uncle looks exactly like uh, Tenskwatawa. And my, one of my grandmother's art galleries was named The Open Door. And so when I learned all about that, I, it, it really intrigued me. And, and I, started, um, I started working with animal parts and, and gut feelings, like innate knowingness uh, when I, in my first years of the cabin. 
which was easy to do because I was in the middle of a forest with nothing but nature all around me. And so I started walking and hiking a lot and collecting bird parts, bones and antlers and whatever I found in the woods. And then one day I was a few miles from the house walking through the woods and I stumbled upon an encampment and of people and I saw um, sweat lodges, teepees and people mingling around. So I, I went up on a high bluff and just sat down and looked down over the encampment and watched them for an entire day. And, the net, and I decided I'm going to go there tomorrow. I'm going to go see what they're doing. So I, the next day I walked over there and I walked up to the camp. And before they would, um, before I could even come into the camp, a bunch of people come running over to see who I am and they bring a smudge. I had never seen a smudge before 21 years old or something. I was very young. Anyways, they ended up bringing me in that camp and I, and I, I learned about Sweat Lodge. I learned about Sundance. It was a Sundance spirit camp, and I learned about Vision Quest. And it was my first time ever to see an altar and a Sweat Lodge. And when I looked on that altar and I saw eagle heads, feathers, claws, bones, antlers, I saw all the things that I had been collecting for myself in my own cabin, but, but I didn't know what to do with them. And so when I saw them on that altar, and then I got invited to participate in Sweat Lodge and Vision Quest, etc., I saw how they were being utilized and how the medicine men were using them for prayer and for spirit. And I was like, boom, that's, that's what I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to know more. And so I just went on now that's what's been a 30-year extravaganza of just diving deep into all of that but not growing up in a teepee chasing buffalo not growing up in a tribe i also somehow innately knew how important authenticity is like i didn't want to just grab somebody else's cereal box and just start eating from it. I needed it to be more authentically me. And so I went home and I, I built my own sweat lodge and I invited my friends over and we did a sweat lodge. And more people kept coming, they kept asking for more, we kept doing it over the course of time, it evolved and developed. I, I went to every ceremony I could find. I, I read every book I could find. I learned and learned and learned. But I only took out of each of those things what was meaningful and, and authentic for me in, in the way my mind and creativity worked and have, have put that together into my own sort of system and, and format that's authentic and original and true to myself. One thing that I hold extremely important is that nobody needs to have a certain kind of blood or a certain color of skin or any kind of heritage in order to pray to spirit or have a spiritual relationship with us. 
we are all indigenous to the earth every single human and we're native in that way and we all have ancestors who have lived off of the land and hunted and gathered and prayed to the elements and i've just learned over time that the only thing that i know uh is that my life depends on the elements the elementals of this world the the earth the fire, the water, and the air. And I've been through all religions. I've studied a lot of religions, and none of them know, they, they don't know for a fact um, what happens to us, what our lives really depend on. And so these earth-centered ways is just my particular way and our way of honoring what we do know. We, we know that our lives depend on those elementals and we can give those thanks and we can be in direct relation with God by no matter what name we give that. And that's where I, that's where my inspiration comes from. So. That's beautiful to hear. <clears throat> um. The thing that stuck out to me about what you just said is that we are all indigenous to the earth and we all have ancestors who um, lived with the land and prayed with the elements. And for some of us, those ancestors are much further back than others, but they are, they're still there. Yes, and, they are. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, I love this story about how you stumbled upon your community and you stumbled upon these ways while you were walking in the woods. That seems very, hearing, hearing the beginnings of your story, that seems very um, apropos and um, just another example of how you were guided into your life and you were just taking the next step and the next step and the next step. And, um, you didn't necessarily know what you were walking into at any point and, and look how your life and, um, how your life has evolved in hindsight. Um, and I think where I want to go next as we're kind of running out of time here or coming to the end of our time is um, I'd love to hear about how you think about working with elders and the importance of working with elders and the youth because um, at Elizabeth's birthday party uh, several weeks ago, we were talking about um, you were sharing about your views about elders and finding any elder that you can speak to and, and harvesting that wisdom. So I'd love if you can share a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Um, 
Our elders are simply, in my mind, they're hidden living treasures. They're not, maybe they're not hidden. Maybe I should say they're just, they're living treasures. And not, it's not that just by being, uh, it's not that they've done necessarily all of them, anything in particular that's um, worth sharing or learning from. Actually, I'm stumbling a little bit on explaining my opinion about that. It, it's, they're a, a door of opportunity in my mind. We, we have the opportunity to walk into the door of a long experience. And I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as a mistake or a failure in our lives as long as we learn what is the lesson in that mistake. And so if we do something quote unquote wrong, but we learn from that and we don't make that same mistake again, then that's wisdom and that's experience and that's a, a teaching and a lesson. And we have the opportunity through our elders to go, just go right to the source of experience. Of, of wisdom. And so I love talking to elders and finding out what they, what would they tell me out of your 80 years or 90 years or whatever it is, out of all your experience, what's the first thing that comes into your mind that you would tell a youngster like me or a youngster like my child? What do you, are you afraid to die? Where do you think you're going? What do you think is going to happen? What are the most standout memories of your life? What are your biggest regrets? And I just think that's worth a million dollars. Well, way more than a million dollars. Um, and teaching that to our children, because somehow it's a little bit lost in our culture these days, the value and importance of an elder. We put our elders, by and large, in, in homes, you know, unlike some other cultures, like Central or South American cultures, as an example, uh, they live with their elders. Their elders raise children. They're a significant part of children's lives, where for us, uh, it, that's not as common. There are exceptions to the rule, of course, but it's not as common. So, I simply like to uh, teach about elders in the wheel of life to children because the, so in the wheel of life, there are four, Every, four is a very big deal. There's four seasons, four elements, four phases of life. And the and North is the fourth phase of life, which is elder. And it's the element of air. It's the element of our, it's the direction of our ancestors and wisdom, etc. And so I like to teach children the value and importance, uh, the opportunity that, that is available to them to speak to their elders. And I have an elder whose name is Bob, who you've met. And uh, he goes to all my ceremony. I bring him to all my ceremonies and take him to all schools that I go to. And um, the children just love, love that. Uh, and I love that. And it's an honoring of him, an honoring of that genre or that age group. 
and it's a, an ability to share the wisdom that, that he holds. And I was invited to that youth elder council as an elder, but I do not consider myself an elder yet. I, I don't know what makes an elder. When they invited me, I actually went to a dictionary and looked up elders to define it and prove to them that I'm not an elder. <laughs> I couldn't do it. So... <laughs> Is it more like a felt sense that you're not an elder? I think my feeling that I'm not an elder has to do with the actual age. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just barely 50 right now. And in my mind, I, I think of an elder as a 70 or 80 year old, you know, but mm -hmm. it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, you know, a really interesting topic around that is something that I've been writing about recently, which is called our knowingness. We, we have a knowingness in us, every individual, every human being. It's called innate knowledge. We have the past millennia of history, DNA, ancestors, relations in us. We have a knowingness that, by and large, humanity doesn't tap into. Instead, they tap into TV and news stations and other information. And that's one of my main goals with, with working with children and business groups is to help people understand and become aware of the innate knowingness that's a part of every human being. And you have to develop it as a practice. You have to develop a relationship with it for it to be able to serve you. An example of that, that even though I didn't know about it at the time, was the guidance to come to this land, to stay here, to be here, to work with what was here. That was an innate knowingness that I've developed over time. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it when it first started, but now I am. My elder Bob calls this a ping when we learn how to follow our pings, they come more and more and more. And just because you have a ping uh, doesn't mean you have to follow it every time. It's like a door of opportunity. You can walk in, see what it is, and then you can decide to take it or not. You can always turn around and walk back out. But the more you practice this relationship with these pings or your innate knowingness, the stronger that relationship comes or becomes, and the more opportunities are given to you by the universe. Because it's well known in the spiritual conscious world that whenever we intentionally put out to the universe what it is we desire, then the universe starts working for our benefit towards that. So we started Absolutely. with elders and we ended, I don't know where. <laughs> pings. Yeah, I definitely have that experience with pings of this strengthening relationship with them. Um, once I start to follow, quote unquote, follow the instructions. Um, and there was another thing I wanted to ask you, which is I'd love to hear about your, your writing um, in your book. Okay. So I am, uh, I'm an avid walker and hiker. 
In fact, right after this um, interview right now, I'm going on a four-hour walk, which I do almost every day. And so I take a lot of pictures. I'm an avid photographer and an avid writer. So I, I have a genre that I've created that I've never heard of before that I call photo poetics. And I have these um, wonderful photos from nature that I couple with a poem. So the poem says in words what the photo says in image. They each say what the other one cannot. And I'm a super avid writer. I write a lot. And my venues are Instagram and Facebook. And so anybody can find uh, the Facebook under Leaf Running Rabbit. And after some years of doing that, a publisher stumbled upon my writings and reached out and asked uh, if, I would, if I would allow them to publish a book of, of some of the writings. And so I, I, of course, said yes. And that's evolved also into my writing for Solar Today magazine that also came through the social media. And um, basically, the poetry is about raising consciousness. It's about uh, awareness. It's about mindfulness. It's about daily practical experience. It's about, it's about putting spirituality and intention into our daily, everyday lives in mundane activities from cooking to washing dishes to walking. Uh, because to me, those are the most valuable ways that people in this modern era can be become mindful and spiritual and aware and raise collective consciousness is to figure out how you can do that in the middle of a suburb, in the middle of a city, or in the middle of a forest without having ancestry of being Native American or happening to know a shaman or happening to know a rainforest tree frog or whatever. I'm wanting to promote unconditional happiness, higher levels of consciousness, through mundanity, through our everyday acts of living. And so that's what the poetry is about. It's, it's, um, it's positive, it's prayerful, it's real. Uh, these are my opinions. I'm a little biased since I'm the one who wrote. <laughs> but again, to, to see some of the writings, you could go to Facebook under my name, Leaf Running Rabbit, or on Instagram at Wild Bee. Wild Bee, and that's the name of the book, Wild Bee, right? Yes, the book is named Wild Bee, as in Be Wild. And the photo on the front is my sacred pipe, uh, which is, again, very prayerful. Um, and I'm, 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 I mentioned I'm semi-retired, um, but I'm fully busy making ceremonial and spiritual art. Uh, writing, taking photos, teaching, and uh, doing ceremony. So um, do a lot of spiritual art for ceremony work. Mm. So if people want to get in touch, you have some offerings. Can, and can you share what those offerings are and um, how people can get in touch with you? Yes. Um, so the, I'm, I would love to send somebody uh, 
a free copy of the book personally signed to them willing to, to do that uh, with one book. Wonderful. And com, which is the publishing house that published the book. Can you repeat the uh, URL? You can also find my writing on the, uh, yeah, Middle Creek Publishing.com. Middle, Middle Creek Publishing.com. And let's see, then the, um, they can read my writing on off grid and solar living in the magazine Solar Today, which is this magazine right here. And that can be found through the URL ASES.org, which stands for the American Solar Energy Society, ASES.org. Um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then we also put out a group. We have a group email ceremony circle to keep everyone informed when ceremonies are happening here on um, the land. Uh, if people happen to live close enough, I've, we have people come all the way from as far as Kansas City, Missouri for ceremony at times. But uh, if you would like to be added to the email list, you can send me an email at the rabbit runs. That's T-H-E-R-A-B-B-I-T-R-U-N-S, the rabbit runs at hotmail.com. Um, so, and also messaging through Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter. So totally fine. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories and all of the things you've learned and all the adventures you've had. This has been really fun for me and I'm excited to share it with everyone. Awesome. I'm excited too. And I do much gratitude for having me here. I feel very honored and blessed to be in the same circle with you, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Rise Collective podcast. If you got value out of this, I love it when people take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. Just make sure to tag me, Carrie Jordan. I hope that this podcast and this interview inspires you. That's the whole point. <laughs> I'm going to put any relevant, relevant links in the show notes on the risecollective.org. That's where you can also find past episodes, my blog, products for sale, including the life design planning and different offerings. Um, while you're there, you can also download the free guide to feminine folk magic and the rhythms of the earth. This is my absolute favorite thing to teach about and to talk about. <laughs> Hundreds of women have used this method, the rise effect, to weave magic into their lives. It's a simple guide and it's going to help you move forward towards your soul purpose. I often do Patreon bonuses for the episodes, so if you heard that there's a bonus in this episode, go to patreon.com and become a patron. It's You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. And that's where I provide codes and giveaways and all kinds of bonus materials. If you love the show, please consider supporting its production at patreon.com slash rise collective. 
I offer lots of exclusive content and it will help me um, create this body of work. There are costs associated with this project. And if you believe that the voices of our elders need a platform to reach more people, please become a patron. It's really worth your while. <clears throat> Thank you. And please subscribe in whatever app you listen to podcasts. I so appreciate you leaving a review so that the show can reach more people. Thank you for listening. And 